All right. Well, welcome back to Resisting Pretense. We're laughing because um, we just recorded a whole podcast without hitting the record button. So this is take two of having a uh, faith-infused conversation about, or no, 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 having an honest conversation about a life of faith in modern culture. and. The end result will be maybe you have a faith-infused conversation with someone. Uh, we'll clean that up in post. <laughs> That's our new name for the podcast. I'm, I'm exploring alternative names instead of resisting pretense. Maybe it's just, we'll fix that in post. Fix that in post. Yeah. <laughs> There's probably already a podcast called that. I don't know. Now I want to know. Can I look it up? Why don't you talk while I look that up? You can do whatever you want. You are the lead (laughs) pastor. I just say, yes, sir. Whatever. You know. (laughs) Actually, that's kind of funny that we we talk about that way, because that's really the direction we're talking about today in in today's episode is really about leadership, um, styles and trends and um, kind of where we've landed or where we are landing uh, in our leadership style here at Stone Ridge Church. And so um, kind of a kind of an exciting um, conversation, to be honest, uh, as, as we talk about leadership. So here Tom is just messing around on his iPad. If you saw us on the video, he's he's scanning to figure out if there's a podcast um, there, by that name. There is. I was right. Fix it and post. I don't know if it's an active one or not, but all right. Makes me happy just to know that I had an idea that somebody else thought was good. <laughs> so when we started this conversation, I'm in sorry, the, were you talking? Yeah. So, when, so when we started this conversation in the unrecorded uh, podcast, uh, we really <laughs> started talking about how we came into or what trend we kind of came into uh, in, in the leadership styles and talking about the different styles like authoritarian and, and laissez-faire and, and, uh, collaborative and those kinds of things. And, mm-hmm. um, that when I started, it was much more the authoritative, um, coming out of the, uh, almost the, uh, three martini lunch. I am the boss. Um, era of business and really coming much more the into good old boys the good old boys club yeah into this is the way we're going and um you you kind of talked about general Patton as kind of having that authoritative i that's what i when i think of like my early pictures of leadership it was it was the general Patton was like the icon of strong hard charging leadership and um, you know, and I think of, of, um, there were, you know, that, that was the, that was the pinnacle really. And those were the leaders that I first experienced. Uh, the first, my, my first role in ministry was under, a a leader that was a very like strong, dominant, hard charging, lots of ambition. Um, and it, he, he wasn't, authoritarian in the cruel sense but he was very like he was the guy with the plan and you were going to follow it and and we did and and I never thought of myself as a leader I 
I only thought of myself as a guy who could support a leader. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took a while for me to open my thinking up to actually taking leadership roles because I never thought I was cut out of that cloth. Well, and, and that, that kind of style really came across as it's my way or the highway. And so you almost lived in this atmosphere of I better toe the line and, or if I don't, I'm going to be out of a job. Mm-hmm. And so it was almost a, a, an underlying fear um, in, in some ways. And, and that, that was kind of where, where I was coming into the business world. It was moving its way out as I was coming in. And, and that trend began to give more, give way um, to more of, of the, the servant leadership um, yeah. style. I think there was a, um, before we jump totally into servant leaders, um, there was a real, I think one of the values of that driven, authoritative kind of leadership. Um, there was a real focus on results mm-hmm. um, and on being results-oriented, results-driven. You know, I think about guys, and I don't know actually what his personal leadership style, but he was just in that season where, you know, he was highly praised. Lee Iacocca was for a while in American culture, like the epitome of great leadership. And yep. he turned around a company or two and, and he was, um, I, from a distance, I always thought he was kind of like that, that guy that had the plan and was going to throw the, throw the team on his back and carry him across the finish line. You know, that, that kind of leader. Um, and he may have been more, uh, collaborative than that, but, but it was just my, my impression from, from the distance of where I was looking. And it was just the culture of leadership at the time that well, that's I, what leaders do. And I think in that kind of leadership, you never have to worry about where you're going. I mean, it's, it's always very clear. This is where the leader is going and we, and we need to go in that same direction. And right. That wasn't, that wasn't always true in all styles of leadership, but in that leadership, you always knew what was happening. Right. And then the next season seemed to be kind of in the, I don't know, 80s, maybe late 80s, early 90s, um, this season where all of a sudden people started talking about, not just in church life, but people started talking in the wider culture about servant leadership. And and this began to open, it wasn't even the, I don't think it was even the thing that, that finally tipped the scales for me as far as being able to see myself as a leader, but, but definitely it was a, a move in that direction that we could talk about servant leadership and leadership, the the leader being something other than that hard charging authoritative, like my way or the highway kind of leader. All of a sudden servant leaders had a, had a more um, uh, compassionate approach um, and maybe, maybe more collaborative uh you know, definitely in church life, I think uh, there were a lot of people saying, finally, we're talking about, you know, we've we've had a lot of church leaders that were take charge my way or the highway. And then all of a sudden now we're like, wait a minute. That wasn't necessarily the only picture of leadership we have from like Jesus, who at times was pretty take charge. But at other times, you know, washing his disciples feet and and, you know, encouraging them to go out and and lead on their own and there was just there was so much more servant in him than 
than any other picture of leadership I'd ever seen. Right. So my experience in the in that area was actually when I worked for uh, Federal Express, <laughs> and I was kind of a it was a cross between working for Federal Express and 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 working in long term care. I was kind of because they're so related to jobs. each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the the CEO of, of Federal Express, a guy by the name of, of Frederick Smith, um, he actually would come and go to every one of, of his uh, locations, and he would talk to the employees, and he would ask questions. And so, you and know. Call me Freddie? No, no, <laughs> no. But, I, that's but, what I called him. Yeah, and, and we know how long that lasted. <laughs> But I mean, it, it was just this example of I'm going to get down and know who my people are and be engaged with them and, and be able to encourage them. And um, was that was my first experience of actually seeing that idea of servant leadership. It wasn't, you know, it was something that if the job needs to get done and we don't have enough people, I jump in and help. Mm -hmm. And so you saw that trickle down to where, you know, even even at the stations, if if there was a problem, the director of the station was getting involved and helping out, not just sitting up at the, the top and barking orders. Mm -hmm. They were on the line going, okay, this needs to get done, so I'm going to help get it done. Yeah, I when I think of the, the strong dominant leader, I think of a guy in an ivory tower uh, corner office looking out over the, the cityscape who's just, who's barking is probably the wrong phrase, but who's who's directing things from his office. And when I think of the servant leader, I think of the guy that, you know, spends less time in his office is rolling up his sleeves and, and knows the name of the male guy and knows right. that, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, and almost, it's almost an attitude, at least from my perspective in the authoritarian, that, that doing something that helps the company move in that direction. Like if there's a need like that, that's below me. That's, mm -hmm. that's not my, where in the servant leadership, it was like, no, I am part of this, and so I need to be engaged. Yeah. And there's a, I mean, there's a case to be made, you know, I'm trying to trying to respect the different modes of leadership, but there's a case to be made of the, you know, the authoritarian leader would say, I'm going to do the thing that, that only I can do. Um, and I think the servant leader would say, um, I'm going to do mostly the things that only I can do, but I also have to be accessible and, and, and to support people around me. So there was definitely a shift in the trend Absolutely. of leadership. Um, and then the next shift I remember was the team shift. And it was, it was almost less about leadership, although there were leadership elements to it and more about an overall approach to business and how we do business and, uh, I remember reading stuff by a guy named Deming. Um, can't remember his first name, Arthur, maybe. But anyway, um, and I remember like people were geeking out about Japanese businesses and how they were doing teams and the the team, particularly in like a factory setting, the, a team like a shift team would work together and and even even like who's leading the team and who's you know who's who's getting maybe even promoted or fired or, or whatever was all based on the team because they, they, they either succeeded or failed as a team. And so, you know, if there was dead weight, they were going to address it themselves. And it became this model of how you do stuff. And maybe, 
maybe worked better in some industries than others, but for a while it was the buzz. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm part of the project team and it, and there would be a particular project that they were working on and they may not work on any other project in the company. And so there was like this season for that team to work, you know, mm-hmm. and then when that season was over, they might get transferred into a different team, but you're always connected somehow to a, to a team. Yeah. And even in, in church life, that was the, that was the time when uh, many churches stopped talking about committees. Um, Church, you know, for 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 decades, churches have been populated by a committee that meets and makes a decision, and and a lot of churches said we're not going to do committees anymore. We're going to do teams, and it's the 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 team that's deciding is going to be the team that executes. And so it's not like a committee deciding what other people will do, but it's it's the team in control of their own decision making process and the execution of their decisions, and and. You know, some people just change the language without changing the structure. Like you're not you're not the personnel committee anymore. You're the personnel team, but it's still a committee. Uh, <laughs> Which was always, you know, when I, so when I came on staff here at Stone Ridge, that was one of the things I had to learn because I was still kind of in the well. We have these these committee. Oh, you had to, you had roles. to shift language. Yeah, yeah. But I had to understand why the shift. It wasn't just a matter of shifting language. It was a matter of understanding the paradigm shift as well. And so it was made very clear to me that committees tell somebody what they have to do. Teams explore what we have to do. And so everybody has a buy-in on a team mm-hmm. where on a committee it's like, okay, we've decided what you're going to yeah. do. Yeah. Um, and at least that was how it was kind of explained to me. Yeah, so there was that season where team and teamwork, and that was that was all the rage. I think that was also a time when a lot of, particularly tech organizations, but I think probably a variety of organizations tried to flatten their their organizational charts a lot and remove middle management as much as possible and create these these flat structures where you know everybody's got a voice. Everybody has input and, you know, every, you know, you can, you can go directly to the CEO or, you know, I, I saw, I I don't know if it's a caricature or if it's a a good representation of that um, in a TV show I was watching It's called for all mankind. It's on Apple, but, um, and it was this tech fictional tech company that was in part of the space race. And, and when they're making a big decision, you know, the CEO walks out, all right, everybody gather around. And all these people kind of gather around in a big circle and they have a conversation about a big decision they have to make. And, um, I don't know if that's what it's really like in those organizations, but, uh, there's definitely part of the team movement was to, to, um, keep decision-making in the hands of the doers. Yeah. Uh, very much so. Yeah. And, and, to a certain extent, I mean, and, and every one of these aspects have their good and their and their yeah yeah you know struggles. I think in one of the, you know especially in the team aspect is that we said, oh, let's put all these people together in a team, but we really didn't understand team dynamics at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, tried to force a lot. Of we teams tried to, to force a lot of teams and. You know, people would start rolling their eyes when they say, oh, we're going to do a team building exercise. Trust like, fall. Ugh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Trust Ugh. falls the caricature of the team season. Yeah. It's like, oh, I don't want to, uh. you know, and um, but what we learned was that 
you couldn't just throw a bunch of people together and expect there to be a team, you know, especially if there were, if there was underlying uh, feelings or opinions or things that needed to come to the surface for the team to really gel. And so I think that that season of team building really taught us a lot about the human condition and how we have to learn to, to work on some of that stuff. Yeah. So the next season that I thought of, and I, I'm going to stick a couple together, but we'll probably talk about them separately, but it was like the strategy and marketing season after teams um, somewhere here in the two thousands. It seems like that became a big, big conversation. Let's talk about the marketing side of it. This was, um, I think in the early days of the marketing shift, it was all about um, refining your, you know, your demographic. And um, it was all about, uh, you know, looking into the, the numbers and being able to, uh, to custom market to certain segments and, and to adjust your business plan based on, you know, yeah, I think you were you were you were talking about um, today how we see this in in like people wanting to track your activity in an app so they know how to market specifically to you. Like you you searched for something on Google and it shows up in your Facebook because they're talking to each other and you're like you know you were looking for cat litter in Google and you open up you know some other app and it's got an ad for cat litter and you're like how. How do it know? <laughs> <laughs> well, and and technology is really what has driven that. Yeah. So when when prior to the computer and all that kind of stuff, companies would have to wait sometimes months. Um, see if their marketing to was see successful. if their marketing yeah. was successful or not. And so, you know, by the time they figured out what was trending, the trend was over. <laughs> When when we really started to step into the computer age and the and the technology age, then we begin to see things like Salesforce, which was a program that that hmm. it tracked how many how many calls did you make, how many customers did you talk to, what was the outcome of those customers, what is your follow up, um, when are you going to follow up, what was their response, and all of this was being tracked not just in your program that you were putting it in, but then it was being tracked by somebody at the corporate level who could see all of all of the stuff and see it trending. Now, you know, I have a niece who works in statistics and very rarely have I run into anybody who likes statistics. But she, <laughs> she's the one. She's the one. She's one of them. But there are positions in advertising companies and in companies, well-paid positions, that that's all they do is they look at the statistics of the market and they see where things are going, why things are happening and what's, ha I mean, down to the most minute details of saying, if this ad comes out on a Tuesday, it's going to do better than it comes out on a Wednesday. Or mm -hmm. if this ad hits at eight o'clock on Saturday mornings, that's when most women are viewing Facebook or viewing this or viewing that. And so we want to make sure that's in front of them during that time, you know, it, it, even to the point now where I do, and you and I've talked about this, that we do a lot of our shopping online and then <laughs> go pick it up. Yeah. Well, 
I'm, I'm ordering my stuff. And they said, well, how was your bananas? Or I noticed that you haven't bought this in a while. You know, is it time to replace that? Or, you know, even my haircut. They're, they're saying, oh, you know, you haven't been in. It must be time for you to get your haircut. And, <laughs> you know, I, I'm one of those guys that I get my haircut when it starts driving me crazy. But they have figured out that. What your crazy yeah, what period my, what is? What is my crazy yeah. period is. And yeah, go, most of us have figured that out about you. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, I always think it's funny when I'm I I do a lot of my grocery ordering online and then we go pick it up and always it'll be, you know, my list of things that I ordered and then below that the list of things they're going to suggest that I often order and it seems like there's always bananas in there. It's oh always yeah, always bananas. Always bananas. So um yeah, and it you know, marketing used to be like you you could assess it after the fact. And then I remember a phrase like just in time, like getting the information just in time. And then that changed to in real time. And now you're like the the gap between your effort and assessing its results is becoming so narrow. Um, But and this affects leadership, I think, in the way, especially now with the advent of social media, that the leader is kind of expected to be aware and involved and have be part of the marketing voice even if it's even if it's somebody on staff doing it in the leader's name but you know like the leader needs to be tweeting about oh we we just can't we just launched this new service this new product and it's you know and and there's this expectation of leaders being a, a an integral part of the the marketing effort yeah so i think that that even um even at the CEO role or the governor role or whatever it is, they may do some of their own, um, some of their own public stuff, like as far as tweeting or Instagram or something like that, but they never do any of the follow-up. Mm. They, they may send it out, but there's somebody else who's tracking all of that stuff and looking social, at all of that stuff. And, social media monkeys. Yeah. I mean, yeah, literally is, is that they don't literally monkeys. Well, <laughs> Seems like, it, you know, and and so I'm always fascinated when you see some of these big stars say, oh, I answer all my own tweets. And I'm just kind of like, no, you don't. <laughs> you have somebody who's looking at that. And when they, and when one comes along, you go, they go to you. Hey, just want to let you know about this one. And you go, oh, I'll respond to that one. Right. You know? Right. So there's the marketing side and there's the strategy side. And they're related because, you know, marketing is informing strategy. But when I think strategy, I'm thinking about the whole movement among leaders to refine and restate things like um, your organization's mission and its its vision for where it's going in the next five to ten years. And, you know, of course, I think branding is a is a kind of an in-between space for marketing and and strategy, because a lot of times, you know, I'm. I'm hearing people say, oh, you know, this is this is our brand identity, which might really be almost an expression of our values and our, our identity and the way the things that we're trying to accomplish. And then but and the brand is both visual and it's value oriented, but it also says, and this is how we're gonna expand our brand over the next, you know, season of our business life. 
and then it's talking about products and services and different things, but it's all it's all part of this larger conversation of a strategy. It's connected to marketing, but it's also it's also its own thing. And that has become um that has become I think that's a current season that we're in. Maybe maybe the tail end of its popularity or like its newness, like it's not new, but but you know, for a long time I nobody was telling Nobody was telling me as a church leader, you know, what's your in the in the 80s and probably even in the 90s, what what are your organizational values? What's your mission statement? Where's your vision taking you in the next 10 years? And then somewhere in the 2000s, that became something that that I was hearing a lot of what's what's your what's your strategic piece, um, not just for your for your organization, but for you personally. We did that here uh, just a few years ago, refined our, like, what are the values that drive us? What's, how, do we, how do we say concisely what our mission is? And, you know, our, our vision, you know, our mission remains the same, but our vision that over the next five, 10 years, we're going to help people discover their calling. We're going we're gonna to help them live that out, and we're going to see them influencing the world around them because of that. So those things... Um, in a lot of ways, really helpful for us as a church. And I, I think it's helped a lot of businesses be very focused. So if you were to give an example that our listeners would probably be able to relate to, what, what business would you say? Here's, here's a clear picture of what that might have looked like. Uh, there's Tom's Shoes. We've talked about, I mentioned it in a in a sermon recently that had a, you know they had a a mission to that that wasn't just make making money but it was to put shoes on the feet of of the poorest people in the world so they would sell a pair of shoes and then give a pair of shoes and and uh, they've changed their actually changed their model in recent years and now they give a portion like a percentage of their profit to to shoe the world that sounds strange. <laughs> Go away, world. Um, but they give, they give you know they're they're a charity oriented a, a philanthropic kind of corporation. Um, that's that's one that I think people people were pretty aware of when it when it hit its popularity. Well, and I think that that carried over to all a, a lot of different aspects. So when you were talking about that, I think about how many stars say I'm going to throw my my platform behind oh yeah whatever this it is cause, that so, cause, right yeah. you know and so oh this person this this famous singer is collect is connected to the aspca or or whatever mm -hmm. it might be and so there's you know it, it's that identity that's that's connected it's not just the company but now the company is connected to right whatever it is you know i think about and, and it's really kind of changed my perspective but i think about apple because the the computer world was really mm. all about business and the business aspect. And IBM really ran in that lane. And when Apple really came on the scene, it was more like, how do we make you a part of this new technology? How do we get a computer into your hands? Into every home. How do we make it right. personal? How do we make it your home? You know, it was the same thing when iPod came out. You don't have to listen to somebody else's music. 
you can listen to your own mm. music and you can listen to hundreds. And it almost became this social aspect of, I don't own an Apple. I am Apple. And so when you talk to people, are you, Duh. well, but are you <laughs> Apple or are you, you know, are you Windows? Are you yeah, are Apple you, or Windows for a while? And then in the cell phone space, Apple or Android, Apple or Android, Yeah, you know, and still today that, that social connection still defines, yeah. you know, kind of who you are you know you're almost you're almost oh i'm an apple person and somebody who's not an apple scowls at you and says you ought to be you know strung up or whatever it, it looks like inside <laughs> but but the point being is that that in that trend we were looking at not just what what you could do for me but how do you make me a part of yeah and i like last year i was part of a leadership conference um as a participant and the whole thing was about clarifying your personal mission vision value like it was it was the same thing that organizations do but just applied on a personal level and i think that's that's where this really dovetails into leadership and there's one more trend that um we've talked about that there's the empowerment trend i call it the kumbaya trend like I, we want <laughs> we want everyone to feel good and to have a vote you know it kind of it it dovetails in you know it's kind of a, a a further expansion of the servant leader team oriented but it's return to the sixties yeah but it's I'd this like we want to empower our leaders word. and it <laughs> so, it's <laughs> awesome uh, and it's not it's easy to poke fun at but there's also some like we we've we've adopted some of that mindset here um, particularly when it comes to things like. Um, we made a change to our vacation policy. We have, we have, um, super dedicated employee, like they're, they want to work for the church because they're passionate about their faith and they're passionate about the area of, of church life that they really want to invest in. And so I don't like, I don't have to, I don't have to motivate them to work in, in a sense, I almost have to motivate them to take time, appropriate time off of work. So we changed gear. We used to track, you know, you've got X amount of days and you've taken X amount of days. You have this many left. And a few years ago, we just said, ah, oh, forget it. Like, take the time you need and make sure your responsibilities are covered when you're gone. And, and you know, let us know how that's all handled. And then and our staff, our, our full-time ministry staff, they – they manage their own time away and they take enough to refresh themselves. They take enough to spend good time with their families, but I've never seen it abused yet because they don't, they want to do their job. Like they love their job. And so they, they don't just want to be on vacation all the time. And so, um, but that's definitely an empowerment kind of minded. Like I, I, I put control in their hands for well, that. And and in a way, that was really handing over a level of trust right. to be able, I don't have to control that anymore. I believe that you are a grown person you can trust. You know when you need time off. You know when you need to be here on, and working. And I don't, I don't have to worry about it, so take that off your plate. You just let me know when you're leaving so I'm not walking in one day and going, where's Scott, <laughs> you know. But I think that was a level of trust that, that empowered those employees. Right. And, and you know, like we talked earlier, I loved 
and you named the hotel, and I can't remember it again. Oh, but, Ritz Carlton. But I love that the Ritz Carlson would give their like their their doorman um, would give them a, a a spending an account, for lack of a better word, that if a a customer had a problem, they could just deal with it. They, they empowered their people to solve empower, problems, yeah. and they trusted their people to say, "I trust you to fix something." So you're you're not tied up. Right. People aren't tied up. The customer isn't sitting there waiting, going, "Okay, does this have to go to the CEO to <laughs> get to get this meal comp?" Yeah, you know. Instead, the doorman could go. You know what? You're right. We should have done that better. Let me take care of that for you. Yeah, and their customer yeah. service ratings through the roof. They're yeah, great example of of empowering empowering the 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 workforce and and a, a trend in leadership that I think you know all of this stuff. None of these are necessarily right or wrong. You know, even you go back to the very where we started coming full circle. Like, there's a great time for authoritative, driven, hard charging leadership. Um, there's there's certain settings where that's where that's necessary, particularly in crisis setting types of settings. Like you need you need that extreme level of clarity, and you need really fast at times really fast decision making. That's the best way to do that. And all of these all of these trends in leadership, it's not like you just throw out one. But what we've discovered here is we want to embrace the best out of all of them. And it takes a different, it's like takes a leader with a different mindset in each of these trends. Well, and I think part of this comes from really a strong understanding that we've developed over the years that everybody's a leader, but not everybody is the same kind of leader. Mm. And that we have certain gifting in each I still one struggle of us. with that. Like that. Everyone's a leader. I'm like, eh, aren't some of us followers? <laughs> well, but we are. We are followers. Followers to a certain extent. We have to be. Um, no, otherwise, I, and I agree. We're all at the very basic minimum. We're leaders of ourselves, right? But yeah. Well, or as a parent, or as you know, if mm. if I were to look at, I was a much different leader than my dad was. My mm. dad was much more of an Me authoritarian too. leader. Um, I was probably much more of a, uh, probably a, sh a, a, a gatherer, caring type leader than my dad ever was. And it was just, it was how God wired us. Um, my point being is that we all have um, a, a gifting towards a certain kind of leadership style that we've been talking about. Yeah. And we've, we've recently at Stone Ridge tried to, to recognize that and lean in and and take advantage of some different types of leaders that are typical in the church, um, and you you still need a strategic leader, someone that's kind of cut out of the cloth of the apostles, who is all about what's our mission, what's where are we going, what's our vision, what's our you know what are our underlying uh, values that we got to hold fast to, and that that strategic kind of mission-driven leader, not necessarily authoritative, but very strategic. It could be authoritative. Um, that's, a, that's a leadership expression we want here, but there's other 
leadership expressions we want. We want the the leader that's cut out of the cloth of kind of like the the prophet in the Bible, the person who's always waving the caution flag, saying like, "Wait a minute, wait a minute, we're we're getting off track." And not mm -hmm. not off track as far as strategy goes necessarily. Like the the prophet's like, "We're getting off track as far as you know our connection." to the heart of God and, and staying true to our, to our spiritual roots and foundations. And, you know, the prophet gives that kind of voice. I think, you know, it's, it's funny. The phrase is funny because often the, the common phrase in our culture is the devil's advocate. And I think the prophet often plays that kind of role. It's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> not very funny, a little funny. Uh, so there's, I'm the, laughing. there's those two leadership expressions. There's the, the evangelist, the person that's always recruiting, that's always bringing new people in, that's you know never met a stranger, and there's there's that kind of leader. I think those people tend to be a little more authoritative for some reason. Um, is the the people I know that are that have that kind of gifting. Um, a lot of them have that, like you know, we're taking the hill, follow me. You know, charging up the hill, follow me. Um, there's the the. The shepherding, the kumbaya leader, um, that <laughs> that is all always concerned about, you know, is everyone being taken care mm -hmm. of? Or, you know, are we are we, you know, it's the servant leader definitely. It's but it's also the team oriented leader, the empowerment oriented leader. I think that the shepherd is a is a huge part of church life, but not the only one. And that's I think for a long time the shepherd was the only picture of church leadership. And there's all these others, and then the the uh, the teacher, the the detail oriented, like this is what we need to do. This is this, you know, the person who trains, who teaches in church life, in church language. It's it's often the discipler, but it, it's um, it's not just about teaching spiritual content. It's about making sure we've we've got the structures in place to go where we want to go. Is yeah. another. So using your analogy, it, it's the idea that that you're you're. One leader is saying, we're going to take that hill. The next leader is saying, come along mm -hmm. so we can take that hill. The other leader is saying, okay, how are we caring for all these people that are going to take that hill? Yeah. You know, then the you're other, limping. Can I help you? Yeah. yeah. Or, or, okay, you need to let me help mm -hmm. you walk through why this is difficult to take that hill. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the other, you've got the, the last leader that we're talking, or one of the leaders that's going. We're hey, on the wrong hill. Yeah. Wait a minute. <laughs> you know. Do you realize if we take this hill, we've got to worry about that hill over there, mm -hmm. or is this the right hill to cover right now? Mm -hmm. And then you have the then you have the other leader going. We need to make sure that all these people that are going to take this hill are trained up to take the hill, not just yeah. throw them in and hope they hope they make it. Yeah. Can we can we can we go over some battle formations? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, and so our you know we're we're actually in the middle of restructuring our staff so that a core leadership team has these five pieces. Um, and, and that we were doing the best job we can to accomplish all of that, um, and not expecting it from one leader or, you know, pastor of the church. I'm, I may value all those things, but I'm not, I'm not necessarily as, as the lead pastor here, I'm not going to be the guy that's great at all of them. And so, uh, we're trying to find people that are great at those things put them together in a leadership team that that's really going to take our church forward. So um, 
And I think for, you know, for the value of the podcast and the listener, part of it is like, what cloth are you cut out of? And figure out, you know, are, are you the, are you the strategist? Are, are you the devil's advocate? Are you the, are you the recruiter evangel? You know, in, in whatever setting you are, this could be in a, in a business setting or, you know, setting of how you are around your friends or, you know, in your circle, whatever. Um, are you the shepherd? Are you the, you know, the caretaker or are you the, are you the trainer teacher? What, what is the role that you excel at and how can you lean into that and actually add more value by not, not trying to live somebody else's leadership role, but live, but live yours. I, I did this little leadership, um, uh, what's the word kind of cohort, I guess, but I, I coach soccer. I brought some of my girls, we were off season. I brought some of my girls in that I'd seen, like they have leadership potential and I brought them in to my office setting and we did some conversations about leadership and it was, it was fun to invest in them in a different way, but it was also eye opening because one of the best conversations we had was about something like this and we didn't go into this depth necessarily um, but we talked about different different types of leaders and it was for some of them it was the first time they'd they'd ever heard like they had the idea like leaders tell people what to do and people do it but they hadn't thought through the nuances of different you know there's authoritative leaders and there's servant leaders there's collaborative people and there's you know all these things and all of a sudden they were recognizing in themselves that they could be a leader in the way that they were wired. And that was that was fun for me yeah. to see their eyes open up to that. But I think I think all of us could benefit from that. Well, and I think that that it's it's a step towards once I know what kind of leader I am, how does the kind of leadership I am play into mm. a role of other leaders? Because you can't have uh you can't have a room full of teachers because they'll all want to teach, but mm. nobody will have any direction yeah. of where to go, and they won't necessarily care for where the team is. Or so not only how, track. how can I value what I'm what what leadership piece I'm bringing, but how can I value the leadership piece that somebody else is bringing, um, and recognize it as different than what I'm bringing. But still valuable because it's it's bringing its own its own piece of the puzzle in. Well, and whether you're a leader of of a small group of people of a team or whatever, you can look at it and you can determine who is the driver, who is the who mm -hmm. is the, and do I have all the aspects to really make this function and move in the direction you you want it to go. It's real easy to get tied up in wanting to be people I agree with all the time. But it, but when I find people that help me learn to disagree, then I begin to see, okay, we're not moving in the right direction or right. We, we have, I need to look at this from a different aspect. Right. You know, as somebody who is, is authoritarian, they're really good at, they're really good at seeing where the organization is going and, and how to get there and let's move, move, move. They're not really good at, how is how we're getting there affecting the team below me? 
Right. And that's where your care, your your shepherd leader is going, wait a minute, this is great. I'm glad we're going in this direction. But if we don't take care of this, we're not going to get Yeah, if there. we don't slow down, we're going to lose half our people. On right, there. right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. So I hope, I hope um, as you listen, you're already thinking, where, what kind of leadership do I express? And how, what do I see in the people around me? And how can I value it in them? Um, and maybe that becomes a conversation. And, and you can see that it's not, it's not just leadership. It's the way God wired us. And, and then it becomes not just a leadership conversation, but a faith conversation. And if you don't know, ask. Right. Ask somebody, what if you were to define me as a leader, what would that look like to you? Yeah. Good stuff. Well, thanks for listening. Always great to have you along for the ride. And uh, always great to have you along for the conversation, Scott. We will see you next time. All right.